What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Inching closer to the big day. The holiday season rolls on. Michael Bublé should be in your earbuds. But thank you for switching over to the Just Baseball Show. Jack McMullen, Peter Apple, walking you through the first ballot Hall of Fame ballot appearers. I'm not going to say the first ballot Hall of Famers because there might be one or two here. You might have one of them, but we've got guys. We're going to continue to roll through the ballot Give them their love, give them their 10 seconds of fame, and then tell you why they're not Hall of Famers. But first and foremost, Peter Apple, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Had a tough Sunday. Went 1-3. Just looked like a freaking idiot in the NFL. But we look forward yeah. to Monday. We look forward to the rest of the week because we do this every single week. And there's ups and there's downs and there's peaks and there's valleys. And we get over it and we're better than that. But We're still in a lockout. We're still in a lockout. And that's what I thought you were saying. When you said we're going towards the big day, the big day that we're finally out of the lockout. But we haven't heard a singular peep because what we know is that there's going to be negotiations in quotes for those watching on YouTube until the 11th hour when they finally get something done right when the season's about to start. But until then, it's a whole lot of nothing, it seems like. How about this, though? On Monday, apparently the Verlander deal went final like i don't know how that's finalized me neither i don't get it what contractual loophole did they slide their way through to negotiate and finalize a deal during the lockout it doesn't make any sense you want to hear another loophole that i quite don't understand that my dad actually asked and it was great yeah if you guys heard the thanksgiving episode me and my dad were able to talk advanced stats and we were able to talk yankees he's a big baseball mind and he actually had a great question you know how minor leaguers and the major league teams and a lot of the people with inside the front office, they're not allowed to communicate. Yeah. Like even between organizations. What about mm-hmm. if your family in another organization, can the MLB 
not let you get together for the holidays? Shut up. It was a good question. I'm like, what? I mean, there's, if, let's I say, mean, uh, like, you work for the White Sox and your dad works for the Braves. Okay. Can so you guys talk? Here, here's, what, here's what you're explaining right now. What you're saying is like Buddy Bayheim at Syracuse. Like you could say that Jim Bayheim was tampering with his recruitment, but, right? But because I feel he's like, living in his home. But they're also yes, yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, yes. <laughs> but I'm more thinking like between organization to another organization, not within the same one. And I wonder if that's a case across baseball, where there's like a brother in one place, a brother, a sister, a dad, a daughter, a mom, and I don't know. I'm sure it is a case. I'm I'm sure that exists. What if they don't, don't allow you to I, meet for the holidays? That would be the best. <laughs> I mean, that would actually be peak Major League Baseball. Like, peak. that would prove that they hate Christmas. Peak Major League Baseball. You can't get together for Thanksgiving, oh, Christmas, New Year's. God. Nope. Nope. It's almost like nope. COVID Lockout. To, the, to the elf degree. And I said and L that's on when purpose. You say, okay, how mm-hmm. about that? Um, no, that's like when you put your hands up and say, it's a business. <laughs> you know? It's a business. It's just a business. You know, money's got to come first. I get it. You know, everybody's just trying to run it. It's a business. We caught you on a Zoom meeting with your son. You're fired. You're, you're, you're fired. Done. You're canceled. <laughs> you're canceled also on Twitter, which is worse than getting fired. Totally. totally. Absolutely worse. And it depends what side of the political pendulum you get canceled by. Right. If you get canceled by the left or the right, like that changes the level of canceled. You know that that's the world we live in now. Before we get to the Hall of Fame conversation, which will get a lot of people canceled, by the way. Yes. Quick note on women's basketball. UConn, number seven in America. It's their lowest ranking in 14 years. UConn women's basketball has never been as low as seven in the AP poll in the last 14 years. That's nuts. Is there a greater dynasty in sports than UConn women's basketball? Maybe maybe so UCLA like, with the, in the wooden years or possibly some of these Yankee right. dynasties. Or, I mean, you could say the Patriots with Brady. No, but like the reality is the Patriots lost games. Yeah. The Yankees lost games. UConn doesn't lose you, ever. No, UConn didn't lose games. UCLA men's basketball is the closest thing to it. I think UConn women's basketball is, I think they have the longer win streak. But John Wooden, when he went Kareem or Lou Alcindor at the time to to Bill Walton, that was the OG dynasty. Pretty good. And then somehow Gina Oriema dethroned that, right, with with Maya Moore and Brianna Stewart and now Paige Beckers, who's sick, and I hope she comes back in like two months and balls. I mean, they're a dynasty. But let's talk about the Hall of Fame because we are going to dive into three guys each. We're pretty much finishing up the guys appearing on the ballot for the first time. And we dove into A.J. Pruszynski, Tim Lincecum, Prince Fielder, and Alex Rodriguez last time. Mm -hmm. We've got six more guys, probably one yes, in here my three were no's we'll discuss though we'll have some dialogue about it we're getting closer to filling out the just baseball ballot it's really just peter and i saying who's a hall of famer who's not i feel like we're gonna have the same seven to ten guys that we check off i don't know if we're gonna get to ten yeah 
And also, doesn't it feel like there's just a requirement for the Hall of Fame in some aspects where it's like you could have a phenomenal career and we're going to go over a couple of guys here that it just seems like how could they not be Hall of Famers? But when you look at some of the guys who didn't get in already and you compare that to them, then you're like, well, how can this player make it? So right. with unlike kind of anything, it's almost like you need a you need a ID to get into a bar. And if you're not 21, you're just not 21. Like that's right. and maybe you could get a fake ID. Maybe a steroid. You know, maybe we'll relate it to that a little bit. Boom. Boom. And maybe Boom. we get How it. How about that? How about that? So it's oh. like this is one of those ones where as much as we might want a guy to be in the Hall of Fame, as much as what we saw, we saw a Hall of Famer on the field. If another guy who has better numbers didn't get in, what could we do? I'm going to dive into a guy that I really want to be a Hall of Famer, but shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's going to come third for me. I'll kick us off, and we'll get going here with Ryan Howard. Ryan Howard was a Philly. All 13 years of his Major League career were spent in Philadelphia representing those Phillies in three All-Star games. Ryan Howard won a Silver Slugger, a Rookie of the Year, an MVP, and a Commissioner's Trophy, a World Series ring, from 2005 to 2008. That's a lot to accomplish before someone's 29th birthday. Before we get to the downfall of Ryan Howard, let's talk about 2006. Fresh off his Rookie of the Year, he hit 313 with a 425 OBP, an OPS just shy of 1,100, and he led the league with 58 homers and 149 driven in. After the MVP year in 06, he finished fifth in MVP voting in 07, second in his World Series season in 08, and third in MVP voting in 09. However, that 2006 season, along with two others that I just mentioned, one of just three full seasons in his 13-year career where he had an OPS over 900. So it only came in spurts, the dominance. And he fell off quickly. After he turned 30, he hit over 230 twice. His strikeout rate rose north of 30%. He burned out. The strikeouts piled up. He led the league in punchouts, you know, time and time again. He was a negative war player in four of his last five seasons. So Ryan Howard finished his career with 382 bombs and six shy of 1,200 RBIs. But a career war under 15 in just 13 years would never, ever cut it. Ryan Howard is one of the best mistake hitters in recent memory. But there's not a world that exists where he's a Hall of Famer. You said 15 war? Yeah, like you That's, can't I mean, get in yeah, with 15 war. I mean, what do you, uh, Mike Trout puts up nine war seasons... Like, he'll get there two years. Like, we just can't. I'm sorry. But right. I feel like also the story about Ryan Howard is that Ryan Howard was so electric because he just hit the ball harder and farther than pretty much everybody else in his era. At least at his peak, he was, like, the premier power bat. And, and something I'm just looking at is Savant right now. Like, even when he was falling off, when he would hit a ball... It was remained electric even into 2016, yeah. his final year. He finished in the 95th percentile of hard hit rate and 94th percentile of average exit velocity and 93rd percentile in expected slugging in his last year where he hit 196 and a 710 OPS. So even when I'm telling you, he'd hit the ball hard. I'm telling you, Ryan Howard 
was the best mistake hitter I've ever seen. It if made, you missed with a fastball, it's a really good way right? to put it. If you missed with a fastball, he was kind of the origin of the mistake hitter. Mm. Adam Dunn was a mistake hitter too, but he would miss Jim Tomei a too. dead red fastball. Right, Jim Tomei, same thing. And Tomei's a Hall of Famer. He, he Hall hit Famer. over 600 out. He's pretty good. Ryan Howard didn't hit over 600 out. He hit over 350 out. Mm, but Ryan good. Howard, it's not, not enough. enough. But in the mid-2000s, if a pitcher threw a fastball and he said, oh shit, as the ball was leaving his hand, it was going 430 feet. And that's what Ryan Howard was the best at. If you do that 500 times, you're a Hall of Famer. But he only did it 300 and... How many times did I say? 382. Yeah, 382 home runs, 1,194 RBIs, 258, 343, 515, with a total of an 859 OPS. Sorry. Hall of Very Good. Hall of Very Good, and a very good player, and someone who should be, you know, remembered for a very long time in our game. Like, no no doubt about it. 100%. So I'll break into another Phillies legend, Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy Rollins really is the definition of Hall of Very Good. This is a guy who at his peak in 2007, he hit 30 home runs, stole 41 bags, hit 38 doubles, hit 20 triples, and hit almost 300 while playing well above average defense at the most premium position. Jack, did you know that was only the fourth time in Major League history that a player has hit at least 20 home runs, 20 doubles, 20 triples, and 20 stolen bases? The other three players were Curtis Granderson, Willie Mays, and Frank Schultz in 1911. He was a a three-time All-Star, a four-time Gold Glove Award winner, and a World Series champion. But the reality is, Jack, he had a 95 OPS plus and a 95 WRC plus for his career. He's behind Carl Crawford in total steals and has a 49.4 career war where the low end starts at 50. He's also a career 264 average hitter with a 328 on base percentage and an OPS below 750. But I do see him staying on the ballot, but I just don't think he'll end up making the Hall of Fame, but we'll always remember him as a champion and a fantastic all-around player. So I'm looking at the headshots here on Baseball Reference of the top guys in terms of war in Philly's history. And the only guy that doesn't look like he was born during the (laughs) War of 1812 uh, is Mike Schmidt and Chase Utley ahead of Jimmy Rollins. Rollins is ninth in Philly's history with 47 career war. Utley is fourth with 62. Mike Schmidt obviously leads the way with 107. You've got Robin Roberts, too. No, not the news anchor. Uh, Steve Carlton is up there, but then you get to the black and white photos. And the black and white photos, I mean, I don't know. I just don't really care. The people that are in the Hall of Fame, I I believe you. You were really good at baseball. You're in. What about old Haas Radboard? Old Old Haas. Haas. Exactly. You know what? His his 800 innings that he threw in, in a two-month span, good for old Haas. Also, we're uh, calling him old Haas, <laughs> but it, like even his name is written as O-L apostrophe. Like, old. Old Haas. <laughs> Not old. Old Haas. I don't know. that It's got to be an abbreviation for old, but old. Uh, but he goes by old. In the gothic font. <laughs> it's more to it like. in the gothic. It's more to evoke emotion in your old. Old Haas, Radborn. Amen. Amen. No, so like Jimmy Rollins, I mean, he is one of the best modern Phillies. And when you think Phillies 
you know, if you play the the first name to pop into your mind game, mm-hmm. if you showed me a Phillies logo, Jimmy Rollins could be that guy for a lot of people. I think for me, um, honestly, it might be Ryan Howard, to be totally honest. It, it could be Chase Utley for many. Uh, it could also be Doc Halliday for what he did in a Phillies uniform. But for a lot of people, I think it could be Jimmy Rollins. And also, Jimmy Rollins is a part of, I mean, you mentioned him before, Chase Utley. It's one of the greatest shortstop second base tandems in the history of baseball in terms of career war. I mean, these guys were unreal for, like, it seemed like more than a decade of just consistent, hard-nosed baseball. Was Chase Utley that well-liked? Maybe not, but I know Jimmy Rollins was. Um, So it's not like he's got any off-the-field problems. I just don't think... He was a good enough hitter. And, Jack, what was crazy, too, I was going through just every season in Jimmy Rollins' career. He never had above a 120 WRC plus once. Not one time. Even in the year, he hit, even in that 2017, or 2017, um, 2007 year, where he had 30 home runs, 41 double, uh, just all that. 119 WRC plus because WRC plus you, you got to walk like you got to get on base and Jimmy Rollins was just not a great on base guy but Jimmy Rollins was a guy and I was talking with Arm about this he was so efficient on the base pass that even if he didn't get on base to the clip that other guys were in that 2007 he scored 139 runs so he was such a good base dealer that he makes that first to third turn better than anybody he scores from first to home on a on a double in the gap. Like, he's a guy that, even if he got on base at a lower clip, he was still producing runs at an incredible rate. That's why maybe the WRC Plus is never going to like Jimmy Rollins, but that doesn't mean that Jimmy Rollins is a bad player. Sometimes we need context around what WRC Plus means, and it loves guys who walk, and Jimmy Rollins just straight up didn't really walk. One more thing on Jimmy Rollins before we move on here. I'm looking at the 2001 Rookie of the Year races because Rollins finished third in American League Rookie of the Year. These are two of the best rookie seasons ever. You could argue maybe the two best rookie seasons ever. It was unanimous in the National League where Rollins finished third. 27 of 28 first place votes went to the AL Rookie of the Year winner. And I have no idea what kind of shithead voted for somebody else, voted for CC Sabathia instead of Ichiro Suzuki. I'm just looking at... Ichiro won MVP, I mean, didn't he? dude... 2001, yeah, Ichiro won MVP. Ichiro, he won AL Rookie of the Year. This dude had a 7-7 war season, and he only got eight. I mean, think about this. In 156, or in 157 games, he 242, right? He, he set the record in hits, 242. He stole 56 bases to lead Major League Baseball. He hit 350. I mean, this guy hit eight homers, and he had an 838 OPS. Like, that is disgusting. It's one of the greatest seasons by, like, a leadoff hitter ever as a rookie. And he didn't get a vote. There's somebody that voted for CC Sabathia over that. And not MVP. And Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the Year. Like, CC Sabathia got a vote. What are I'm we glad. doing hey, here? we like CC. We'll give him a vote. I mean, whatever. You got a vote. Yeah, love CC. Good podcast, CC. Uh, <laughs> hey, but how about the NL Rookie of the Year in 2001? Albert Pujols, you know, just a 6-6 war season. 161 games for Pujols. He hit 329 with 37 bombs and 130 RBIs in OPS over 1,000 as a rookie. I mean, Ichiro and Pujols in 2001, (laughs) it's really fun to go down that rabbit hole. That's just God. 
These guys were so good. Sick. It's so cool to look at all this stuff. <laughs> they were so good. Pools and Ichiro. I mean, two first ballot Hall of Famers, but they're not on the ballot yet. You know who is on the ballot? Jonathan Papelbon. Hell no, he's not a <laughs> Hall of Famer, but I'm going to run through Jonathan Papelbon anyways. So fun. He did... Jonathan Papelbon did the Kimbrel thing before Kimbrel did the Kimbrel thing. It may not have been the hunch and the arm extension that Kimbrel patented, but the puckered lips and the laser focus with his eyes before coming set was so kick-ass. Papelbon inherited a good situation in Boston. He debuted a year after the Red Sox finally did away with the curse of the Bambino. In his first full season in 2006, he made his first All-Star team and finished second in AL Rookie of the Year voting behind some jabroni named Justin Verlander. So there we go with the Rookie of the Year races. A year after that, Papelbon got his ring. He closed out a sweep of the Rockies for the second Red Sox World Series in four years. Papelbon made six All-Star games in total. He pitched through his 20s in Boston and he racked up a 2-3 ERA across four years in Philly. But there was this unceremonious end to Jonathan Papelbon. He got his shit rocked by Bryce Harper in the Nats dugout at the tail end. Character issues started coming to a head. People didn't like him when he was with Washington. The guy who once had a sub-1 ERA as a 25-year-old was now a middling 7th inning guy 10 years later. He was out of the game at 35. That ended a 12-year career. With relievers, comparison can't be the thief of joy because it's a necessary component of measurement. The top four relievers in career war, Eckersley, Rivera, Wilhelm, Goose Gossage, all Hall of Famers, all with north of 40 war. Lee Smith, Trevor Hoffman, Raleigh Fingers, they're a bit farther down the list in terms of war, but earned serious Cy Young recognition at their peak. Papelbon never once finished in the top 10 in Cy Young voting. And he didn't accumulate the counting stats to earn any more consideration. He should be off the ballot after this year. But you know what? Jonathan Papelbon, good for you. You threw 12 years, you got a ring, and you were a pretty solid closer when you first broke in. He was a really good closer. I mean, in Boston, 10 of his 12 seasons, he had an ERN or three. That's career ERA 244. It's really good. Not going to make the Hall of Fame. yeah. Fell off a cliff, though. Yeah, he did. I mean, his last season, you can even... I mean, just his stuff fell off a cliff. We got 14th percentile in fastball spin. You know, fastball velocity. He wasn't even throwing hard. 32nd percentile. He's got a one four six. He just... And it was quick, too. It's like... It was super quick. I mean, in 2014, he has a two oh four ERA, 39 saves. Then ends 2015, 304, and then four three seven. Then he just doesn't pitch again. Like, it just... But it's funny, looking at him, he's another guy that maybe with five more seasons, he compiles a bunch of saves and is like known, but with the the information we're presented, with the fact that Jonathan Papelbon, again, not very well liked by a lot of people in a lot of different circles, that matters in voting. Yeah, just wait till we get to shilling. Yeah, like, that's... He's just, he's not going to make it, but agreed. He was, I mean, I remember, like, Jonathan Papelbon has always just been a looming presence of you don't really want to face him in the ninth. 
probably for you. You think mid-20s Papelbon. You think when he's got the turtleneck on in October and his lips are turning white because he's puckering them so strongly. I mean, he is hyper intense. He is, he was Kimbrell before Kimbrell was Kimbrell. Like he was that guy where he came on and he said, I'm going to kick your ass right now. And he did when he was in his mid-20s in Boston. But the thing is, in this day and age, and for Hall of Fame relievers, they throw until they're in their late 30s. And they're really successful until they're in their late 30s. Papelbon was not that. His Hall of Fame resume ended at like age 31, 32, and that's not long enough. And he was never overly dominant. You know, you think guys that aren't Hall of Famers, but were overly dominant relievers. Zach Britton was getting Cy Young love. Eric Gagne was getting Cy Young love. You know, K-Rod, he was getting Cy Young love. Papelbon never got that. So he was always really, really good, borderline great, but he was not, you're the best and there's zero question. Because Mo was also at the peak of his powers. I was also talking with Arm today. Is Is Mariano Rivera's cutter the greatest pitch in the history of baseball? Yes, because everybody knew it was coming and nobody could hit it for 20 years. I was watching some like just YouTube videos on it today. It doesn't even move that much. But when I'm watching it, you could just tell the hitter is in it to the last second and immediately is like, oh, whoa, like flinches. Because I think his cutter must have been so straight until the last second, then just bit. bit. It wasn't like a sweeping or like almost a slider it was a straight forcing then a dip right into the barrel of a lefty like it's it's really incredible to watch some of the best hitters of all time like flinch because you don't see guys Mm -hmm. like flinch consistently on one pitch when they know it's coming yeah i'd say the two best pitches of all time are mariano rivera's cutter and cesar valdez's (laughs) changeup the ultimate fade the ultimate fade (laughs) Not gambling advice, but when the Orioles are up and that bullpen comes in, time to bet the other team. But, <laughs> no, but actually, instead of Sandy Koufax's curveball. Okay, fair. Might be in that. Corbin Burns' cutter. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Jacob DeGrom's like, fastball? You know, like Kershaw's slider. <laughs> oh. That's in the conversation. Nolan Ryan fastball is pretty good. Yeah. Bob Gibson fastball. Bob Gibson everything. 1.12 ERA. (laughs) But another guy who had a crazy good peak, but just the numbers tailed off. And this guy will most likely not be a Hall of Famer, but should be remembered as a really, really amazing player. That guy is Carl Crawford. The first homegrown star brought up by the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. He was one of the most dynamic athletes as soon as he debuted in 2002. In 2021, he's caught up in a record label lawsuit with Megan the Stallion. But let's just talk about baseball what? for a second. Yeah, it's wait, hold on, hold on. You you got to dive into that real quick. Well, so Carl Crawford has a record label, and I don't know the full story, but I know he has a record label, and Megan the Stallion was involved in it. And then now she is suing him. I think for a million dollars based on discrepancies within the contract, because I guess the original contract was, like, written like crap. That's all I could really read from it. I didn't really care, because I was more like saw the headline and just saw, like, 
what I saw the the lawsuit is happening. So I was like, all right, that's kind of insane. But let's talk baseball because who cares? But also that's insane. It is insane. I'm I'm looking at this now, and just to tie a bow on this, it looks like that was the first record label that Megan signed with, and now she's with. Uh, 300 Entertainment and Rock Nation too. So Jay Z's label. So she just picked out better labels, and she's like, you know what? Like, give me my money, Carl Crawford. Insane. But right? keep going. Insane, right? Insane. Keep going. What we saw from 2003 to 2010 was one of the best base dealers and base runners of all time. He stole 400 bases in that stretch, averaging 50 per season while slashing. 299, 340, 448 in that stretch. He was also a phenomenal defender in center field. In that stretch, he had at least eight defensive runs saved in six of the eight seasons, and it definitely showed up in his war, putting up 4.7 F4 in five of eight seasons, but only came away with one gold glove, which is kind of interesting. In his career, he's a 104 WRC Plus guy, and he only compiled 41.5 F4. Both fall short of even the lowest performing Hall of Famers, and he retired at just 34, and from t- 2011 to 2016, he played an average of 70 games per season as injuries derailed his career. But nonetheless, we will never forget the excitement that Crawford brought to the game, and even though he probably won't be a Hall of Famer, that doesn't mean he didn't have a, an extremely successful career. Carl Crawford had this brand of baseball that was only going to be good in his late 20s, Max early 30s. I mean, mid-20s too. But it was like, it was a brand of baseball with an expiration date. And I think everybody knew that when they were watching. Unfortunately, a lot like Byron Buxton. I was just about to say that. But Buxton has more power than Crawford ever did. Yeah. Buxton is is a more talented. Yeah. Yeah. Buxton is a more talented baseball player than Carl Crawford. But, I mean, Carl Crawford, you could say, is like Buxton light Mm -hmm. in terms of talent. Um, But when you watch Byron Buxton... You you have that feeling like, oh, my God, this is so fun, but it's not going to last past age 32. Like, that's not how you, that type of game progresses. I agree, you know? but maybe with the maybe new age he, he does, also with injuries. He's just, he's such a crazy phenomenon. It's hard to compare Byron Buxton. But I think you are just because of the way, how dynamic Carl Crawford was. The fact that he was such a prolific base dealer. Like, for eight years, he averaged 50 a year was consistently in the 60 range. Like this was, that doesn't just happen in our game. Like we even see now, and I know stolen bases have teetered off a bit. So those numbers seem even better than they were. But even at that time, like he is above, as I said earlier, Jimmy Rollins, who played more seasons than him and is also considered one of the best base dealers of all time. Like he's in that range because of that incredible Ricky Henderson-esque speed type of peak and it's remarkable to look back at his seasons in that stretch you know what kind of speed it was it was billy hamilton speed bang right Seriously. that's what it was and and carl crawford is a career 290 hitter yeah that's what billy hamilton dreamed of being Literally. if billy hamilton was a career 290 hitter he's a hall of famer because he was going to steal 80 bags a year carl crawford like billy hamilton looked at carl crawford and said that's the career i want Really good defensive outfielder. Uh, I'm going to steal a billion bags a year, and I'm going to hit 290. I'm going to hit 300 some years at my peak. And that's what Carl Crawford did. I found, I, I found it funny to go through the Rays franchise history uh-huh. because they've only been around since 1998. Yeah. 
they've had five managers to make it through a full season. It's a really cool list. They started with Larry Rothschild. Hal McRae managed a year and a half. His only full year, he went 55 and 106. But after that, it was Lou Pinella for three years, then Joe Madden, then Kevin Cash. That's so really it's been cool. a pretty, it's a good list, right? Wow. Carl Crawford is second in Ray's history in career war, only behind Evan Longoria. Now, Longoria is a 50-war guy right now. Crawford finished with 36-war. But just running through the top 12 right now in Ray's history, I mean, you can't do this with any other team just because they're so green. You're going to know all these guys. Evan Longoria, one. Carl Crawford, two. Ben Zobrist, three. Kevin Kiermeyer, fourth all-time in career war in Ray's history. Wow. David Price, five. Big Game James Shields, 6. Carlos Pena, 7. Scott Casimir, 8. BJ Upton, 9. Julio Lugo, 10. Desmond Jennings, 11. And Aubrey Huff, 12. Aubrey Huff. That's a fun game to play. Aubrey oh, Huff God. is such a good name when you're playing that remember this guy like sports game with your friends when you're just yelling out random obscure sports names. Aubrey Huff, what a name. You pull out yeah, Aubrey a Huff, now. you're immediately getting free drinks at the bar from your boys. No, 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 no. You're getting kicked out of the bar. You seen his Twitter? No. I didn't even know Aubrey he had Aubrey Huff Twitter. sucks <laughs> as a person. He sucks as a person so bad. I had no idea. Yeah, Aubrey Huff. <laughs> terrible guy. But that's just No shows way. Like, is he terrible? The... Come on. Yes, what Aubrey he, Huff is, is a horrible How can he be person? a horrible guy? What is he even doing? What do you mean? No, I straight up don't Aubrey know. I'm Huff. coming at you like, what could he be doing that makes him horrible? Okay, you ready? Bill de Blasio, your Manhattan guy. Bill de Blasio, if you want to participate in society fully, you've got to get vaccinated. It's time. You'll need proof of COVID-19 vaccination for indoor dining, indoor gyms, and indoor concerts and performances in New York City. You know, that came out uh, early August. Aubrey Huff quote tweeted it, said, eat a, f- eat a dick, <laughs> fucking nerd. That's who Aubrey Huff is, Peter. <laughs> it's, uh, I, <laughs> maybe a strong now way you know of wording it. Maybe a strong way of wording it, but like, I, I'm not going to call him a bad dude because of his Twitter. Come on, I gotta be. I'm not. No, I'm not. You know I'm not going to go on record and call him a terrible dude just because he posts that on Twitter. There's no way. No, I'm not. No, no. That's no. That's not enough. Come on, you've never met him. We don't know. <laughs> we we're not a podcast uh, that calls out people. I mean, we kind of have sometimes, but come on. We, yeah. Okay, you know what? I we can agree to disagree on Aubrey Huff here. Uh, let's get back to Carl Crawford though, Wait, because Carl before, Crawford, like before, yeah. just before we get back to Carl Crawford, I think it's important because we've been citing different war numbers at times. So this is the difference in the war we've been using because we've been citing two different. One is B War, which is Baseball Reference, and primarily when we just say war, we're talking about Baseball Reference war. Whenever I say F War, that means fan graphs war and they calculate it a little bit differently but i feel like it's just best to kind of average them because how baseball reference uses their war it's mostly based on the defensive metrics that they use because baseball reference uses defensive runs saved while fan graphs uses uzr which is ultimate zone rating personally like i kind of like drs better and I don't really use UZR that much, but I primarily think Fangraphs just has better stats in general. That's where WRC Plus comes from. 
so I just kind of use both and I like to cite both, but there are discrepancies between the two and I just, I think it's best to combine them, but overall you just look at both and you kind of make a decision. Yourself. Yeah. Welcome know. to the stat nerd conversation here. Yeah. For me, his, when I'm looking at somebody historically, I just go to baseball reference. I don't really go to fan graphs when I'm looking at, you know, things when I want to go seek advanced metrics, I go to fan graphs. That's how I or work. Or baseball savant. It makes a ton of sense. And yeah. I think what, what, just for anyone saying like, oh, like Jack just said he had 36 war for Carl Crawford. But on fan graphs, he's at um, 44. Like that's because in defensive run save, Carl Crawford was really strong and UCR not as much. Yeah, but the so thing like is. That's, right. But the thing is, he's a good defender. We know he's a good defender. So right. we don't have to like, I don't know what we're talking about here. And, and, just... and the thing is, relative to the other people that we are comparing him to, like how we look at it, how we contextualize his war. Um, mm-hmm. we're doing it like on the same set. We're using the same war to compare him to others. So if I'm looking at baseball reference, you know, he's going to be, uh, chances are, you know, worse than a certain outfielder on baseball reference and fan graphs when you look at war yeah. and NF war. So that's that. And that's Carl Crawford. I'm going to wrap up with Jake Peavy. And let me just say, that 12-year-old Jack met Jake Peavy in the Hilton lobby just beyond the left field wall of Camden Yards. And Peavy stuck around to talk for north of five minutes. He introduced himself to me and said, hey, I'm Jake. Like, dude, I'm about to piss my pants. I know your name is Jake. Um, He could not be a nicer guy. I know he got into really bad... He got into a really bad financial bind a couple years back, but I, I hope he's doing well. The nicest athlete I've ever encountered. And in baseball circles, mm. I've heard he's as stand-up a guy as they come. Jake Peavy debuted with the Padres as a 21-year-old in 2002, and he was immediately thrown into the fire. He started 17 games as a 21-year-old at the big league level. Two years later, as a 23-year-old, Peavy got himself an ERA crown. A year after that, he led the NL in strikeouts and garnered his first All-Star nod. And then 2007 came. The pitching triple crown is when you lead your respective league in wins, ERA, and strikeouts. Three NL pitchers have accomplished the feat since the turn of the millennium, since 2000. Randy Johnson in 2002, Clayton Kershaw in 2011, and Jake Peavy's 2007 season. Peavy had a 2.54 ERA. He had 19 wins. He had 240 strikeouts and 223 innings of work, which, by the way, is unheard of now, and a Cy Young Award to show for it. After that 07 season, he made this Kevin Love-type switch. He was getting his in San Diego, right? He was doing 20-20 nights. Uh, But then he made the move to being a middling piece on a contender. His age 32 and 33 seasons exemplify that. In 2013, deadline move. White Sox dealt him to Boston, and he won his first World Series ring. 2014, deadline move. Red Sox dealt him to San Francisco. He won his second ring in his many years. Jake Peavy finished a 15-year career spanning four cities with 152 wins, nearly 2,400 innings, over 2,200 strikeouts, and a career ERA of 3.63. I want to give him my sentimental vote, but 37 career war says otherwise. It's a no for me, unfortunately. I think he should remain on the ballot for a couple of years, though. I agree. He was the best pitcher in the league at one point. That matters. Kind of similar to Lincecum, but he had a better career than Lincecum did. Longer. That matters. Better, longer. longer. 
And I, I really liked when you mentioned Kevin Love because it is kind of exactly like that. But uh, interestingly enough, Kevin Love may be a Hall of Famer. Maybe. Maybe. But Jake Peavy, I mean, even in 2004 and 2005, like, he was fucking so good. Yeah. 2880 RA in 2005, 227 in 2004, over 200 strikeouts and over 200 innings. And he's really a young. whip at 104. Yeah. I mean, when he's like 227, he's like 24 years old. Yeah, like he was electric when he came up. God, I mean, he was good for a very long time. But then you see the back half of his career. Oh, what the hell? What is that season? 2014? Yeah. He's... Oh, oh, that is a split season. But yeah, I was like, yeah, with yeah. the Giants when he went back in 2014, 2170 RA, yeah. 78 eggs. But like, then he also had like a season? four yeah, ERA. But then he, four, he went one and nine with a four seven two ERA and 124 innings with the Red Sox that year. Yeah. But even at 358 in 110 innings in 2015, like he, he wasn't a guy who I think just. Because we've been looking at a lot of dudes who have just kind of fell off immediately, and that's what kept them. We've been talking about a lot of guys with crazy good peaks and then just hit a wall. Jake Peavy was kind of okay even in the latter half of his career. I wouldn't call him, like, terrible. Yeah, he fell off. Like, let's go at, like, a 90 RA. Like, Peavy was just, like, a bit over four. Yeah, Peavy was bad at the end, though, but I just, like... His last season was not good. Yeah, but, you know, you see Peavy in that San Diego jersey, you're like, damn. You're a dude. He was a dude. He was a dude. That's what I'm saying. You know who was also a dude? Mark Teixeira might be a Hall of Famer. On the surface, it seems like Mark Teixeira should definitely be a Hall of Famer. He's a three-time All-Star. He's a five-time Gold Glover. He's a 2009 World Series champion. He hit 409 home runs, which is fifth all-time among switch hitters. And he has a career baseball reference war of 50.6. But there is one player that didn't make the Hall of Fame that I think we can reference. Fred McGriff was an incredible first baseman through the 80s and the 90s and into the early 2000s. But Fred McGriff had two more all-star appearances, hit 82 more home runs, had a better batting average, 600 more hits, a better on-base percentage, a better WRC+, and a 52.6 war, which is two wins above Teixeira. And Fred McGriff is not currently a Hall of Famer. Teixeira will most likely not make the Hall, but he is regarded as one of the best first basemen in the 21st century due to his ability to hit with the best of them, but also be a fantastic defender at first base. And it should also be mentioned that his war on Fangraphs sits at 44.6. And the difference, obviously, again, lies on the defensive side where Fangraphs uses, uses UZR and baseball reference uses DRS in their evaluation. But numbers schmumbers. Remember the walk-off home run in Game 2 of the ALDS in 2009? He'll remain on the ballot because he was incredible and he's one of the greatest switch hitters we've ever seen. Yeah, like Tex and Beltron. When I think switch hitters in the 2000s, maybe even early 2010s, I'll say I'll say 2000s. I think Mets Beltron and I think Rangers Teixeira. That's genuinely yeah. what I think. Like there's something to be said about a guy that can hit the ball out from both sides and be exceptional defensively. I mean, Teixeira was the better version of Berkman. I constantly saw Lance Berkman when he was playing the Cubs, right? And I was like, oh, this is just that big, bad dude. He's like yeah. the villain in the movie when he comes to 
to take care of your protagonist. And he does. That was what Berkman was. That was what Teixeira was. When Teixeira... more home runs than Berkman. Right? When Teixeira was a Ranger and when he was a Yankee, he was so good at being the villain. And he's a good guy. Like, that's the thing. He is a good guy. Teixeira, by the way, great on ESPN, too, when he was I was doing, just about to say that. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was awesome. He, he parlayed it into a broadcasting career, and he was really good at that. Teixeira, there's just something about being feared to me. And I think to the writers, there's something about being feared. You know, if you are this guy who transcends what you are on the field, you get love. That's just how that works, right? Derek Jeter, I mean, you can you can bitch about his defensive seasons, but he transcended what he was on the field. Yeah, and even we're looking at war, which, you know, has a lot of defensive metrics piled into there. Derek Jeter's still a 73 war guy. Yeah. Like, he's still getting in regardless, like, no matter what. Yeah. So, but it's funny. I compared him to Fred McGriff, and maybe that's not as fair because Fred McGriff was not a switch hitter. But how do we evaluate, like, do we put more importance on that? Or do we just say, I mean, it doesn't really matter from what side you hit from the matter. We got to look at the whole career. And did you produce like everybody else? I don't know if you should just get this extra bump because of the switch hitters no he's one of the greatest of all time that's why when i'm looking at him it's like he just he doesn't stack up to a guy like fred mcgriff who should be in the hall of fame like i yes should be in the hall yes he just didn't have the 500 career home runs he didn't quite have 3,000 hits so it was just like in that time he just didn't get it but Teixeira is another guy who doesn't quite have any of those numbers, but it's also less than McGriff, and we just saw McGriff not make it. He could still get in through the Veterans Committee, yeah. but as of this moment, getting voted into the Hall of Fame, I just don't see it. Do you see it? No, I don't see it. It seems bleak, and I think if, if so we Fred got six Mc... no's? Yeah, unfortunately, but six you know, no's. that's what we're doing. We're sifting out all the no's. We're going to get to the yes later. And... and it's fun! It's fun! We love looking back at Tex. We love looking back at Jake Peavy. I don't really love looking back at Papelbon, but I love looking back at Carl Crawford. I think it's fun to look back at Papelbon. <laughs> it's funny to look back at Papelbon. It's funny. Um, it, but, you know, it's one of those things where if Fred McGriff was in, I think we're having a different conversation about Teixeira. Agreed. Like, if Crime Dog is in, then Tex immediately gets in. He's like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's Fred McGriff. I don't know immediately, though. Like that, He has, like, 80 home runs less, like 600 less I hits. Love, just, like, I don't know. I, I love I, precedent. But he's, yeah, I'm a but sucker also, for like, precedent. I think an underrated part of Teixeira's career was he really was a phenomenal defensive first baseman. Yeah. Like, a really, really good one. That matters. Who's the modern-day Mark Teixeira? Matt Olson, kind of? No. Well, no, not a switch hitter. I was say, the well, modern day Mark he's Teixeira? not a switch hitter. I'm just thinking when I think of when I think of Mark Teixeira, I just immediately think of Paul Goldschmidt too. Like something oh. about that, right? Thing well, is, not I. I almost said Matt Olson because Paul Goldschmidt has like crazy speed. Yeah, like he's like he's like stole twenty bases. I feel like Gold Goldschmidt Teixeira was never the athlete that Goldschmidt is. Right. I feel like Olson makes sense because they're both power guys. They're both phenomenal defenders. Will Matt Olson ever be as good as Mark Scherer? Uh, you know, that remains to be seen. But that's that's what I thought of initially. But I like the Goldschmidt cop just because of the consistency and the fact that year in, year out, we got 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, 280. Like, that's what Scherer was. He's a career 268 hitter. Like, even in his even in his dog days, I mean, in the good years, he was 280, 290, 300. He was a great hitter. 
I'm smiling because I'm thinking inevitable future Yankee Mark Teixeira. You knew that he was going to be a Yankee at some point when he was on the Rangers. You're comparing him to inevitable future Yankee Matt Olson right now. So That's a good way to end the podcast. That's a good way to that's, end that's the podcast. That's all up for interpretation. <laughs> well, we know how we're interpreting it. Uh, he's Peter. I'm Jack. Every link you need is in the episode description. And thank you, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.